0: Hey, and welcome to The Living Stone, a digital ministry from Greystone Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Here's this week's scripture reading and sermon.
1: From Genesis 18, 1 through 15. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, and he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, There, in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son as Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, oh, yes, you did laugh. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
0: Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? That's the question that drove the writing this week. Google defines wonder as a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful something unexpected, something unfamiliar, or perhaps even something inexplicable. Brene Brown and other emotion researchers say that wonder is an expansive emotion that grows inside us and fills us up. They say the surprise of wonder is like an emotional elevator. I love that image. Spiritual writers and thinkers say that wonder begins in the senses. It comes alive in the imagination and flourishes in the adoration of the divine. Isn't that beautiful? It begins in the senses, comes alive in the imagination, and flourishes in the adoration of the divine. It arises from our natural curiosity about the grand adventure of life. Additionally, they say, wonder delights. Wonder invites. Wonder leads to worship. Wonder invokes gratitude. Wonder reminds us that there is always more, capital M. Is this what David perhaps had in mind when he wrote the words to that famous Psalm 139, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And what exactly is the relationship between fear and wonder? And where does praise come into the picture? As I read it, the story of Abraham and Sarah is full of fear, it is full of wonder. And it is full of praise. And so I think today we'll use it as our guide to navigate the question that is asked, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? In the words of the psalmist David, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. We are all familiar, hopefully, with the plot of the whole Abram and Sarah saga, If you want to review it today when everyone in your family is full and taking their Sunday afternoon naps, then just turn to Genesis 15 and keep reading 16, 17, and 18. Uh, But if you would like to save yourself some time, I'm just going to summarize it quickly as part of the sermon today. In short, God promises Abraham, and at that time his name was Abram, that he would be the father of many nations, that his descendants would equal or outnumber the stars in the sky. Though Abram knows that he is now far beyond the natural age for childbearing, he believes God. But Sarai, his wife, who had aged beyond the childbearing years, knew the laws of nature, and she knew that nature prevented her from participating in the divine promise. And so she came up with her own solution. She offered her Egyptian slave, Hagar, as a substitute bearer of God's promise. Now, I'm going to interrupt the story for just a moment to acknowledge the problematic nature of that entire situation, to trade women's bodies as Sarai traded Hagar's as commodity without any agency of their own for the purpose of their own satisfaction or their own perception of morality to their own ends, even if it seems like the faithful or religious thing to do, trading in such a way is wrong. And if we remember, though, that Sarah is human, a human who is shaped and formed and informed by her own context, maybe we can allow a little bit of grace enough to move us through the rest of the story. But it does make me wonder if Sarah came up with the solution because... She suffered from the very human condition, which was an imbalance of fear and wonder. Too much fear, not enough wonder, a human condition." You know, it it makes me think about this really amazing story. It's like a thousand years old or more, and it comes from India. It's about a man who was condemned to spend an entire night behind bars with a poisonous snake. He stood uh, in the corner of the room because he knew that if he moved even a little, the snake that was coiled up in the corner would wake up and would be on top of him with all of his venom before the man could do anything about it. He knew that if he just moved even a little bit, he would surely be dead. So he stood stiff in the corner of the cell all night long, awake, still petrified in every sense of the word. He barely dared to breathe for fear of alerting the snake, and so he stood there, and as the first bars of light came into the cell at dawn, he began to make out the shape of that snake, which he knew was in the corner, and he began thinking to himself, wow, wasn't I lucky I didn't stir all night long. But when the full force of light came in with the full dawn, the man noticed that the thing in the corner was not a snake at all. Rather, it was just an old rope. Here's the moral of the story. In our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives, there are corners where old ropes have been tossed and laid idle. But when our fears are activated and begin to work on us, we make those ropes into monsters. We make them into monsters that keep us as prisoners in these impoverished rooms, all the while outside of these rooms, God's wonders are waiting for us. But we remain transfixed by our own fears and doomed to come up with our own wonderless solutions. Can you imagine standing in a room all night long because you know there's a stake on the other side only to discover it was just an old rope tossed aside and probably long forgotten. Can you imagine too much fear Not enough wonder. But back to Abram and Sarai. As things play out in their story, Abram and Sarai discover that their actions regarding Hagar were not at all how God intended this particular promise to come to life. So God tried again, reiterating the promise, this time with a little more clarity and specificity about who the mother would be. And then God changed their names to Abraham and Sarah as a sign and a reminder of the covenant promise. Knowing that they were both well into their 90s, again, far beyond the natural order of things, Abraham laughed and asked himself, can a child be born to a man that is 100 years old? And can Sarah, my wife, who is 90 years old, can she really bear a child? Sarah also laughs. When she has her own experience with this divine promise, as we heard in the reading just a moment ago, she's listening from inside the tent. Can't you just see her there behind the curtain with a smile on her face as she listens and overhears the angelic visitors who spoke with Abraham? Here they reiterate God's promise. And in that that moment, (laughs) the geriatric pair laugh to themselves. And Sarah says, after I have grown old and my husband has grown old, can you even imagine? Laughter is in many ways a sister of wonder. And there are so many other sisters of wonder too, things like joy and like gratitude, like curiosity and even imagination. And in many ways, the story of Abraham and Sarah and their numerous descendants, it is a story of God's continued promise and humanity's perpetual waiting. It is a memorable story, but it is oh so common when we sit and think about the promises of God and how they are taking shape in our own lives. The trouble is, though, that we are so easily and frequently transfixed by fear rather than wonder. The trouble is we're so easily and frequently transfixed by fear rather than wonder. We are frightened by the mystery and wonder even of our own presence, of the ways that we don't fit into the systems and the roles and the images or the predetermined identities that others would place on our lives. That is scary for us. The, the expectations like this, they provide an ever-steady stream of show- should-haves and ought-tos and unholy comparisons and limitations, they keep us afraid that we will never be good enough. And they prevent us from seeing the wonder of all that God is calling us to become. And I think that happens individually and as a church. Maybe this is what David was trying to articulate when he penned that phrase, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Maybe he was just beginning to catch a glimpse of all of the beautiful things that God was trying to do through him. Maybe he was beginning to see the necessary balance of those two gifts, fear and wonder, as God used him in some pretty, wonderful ways. How could he have known, though, David? How could he have known early on when he was just the youngest son in a family of eight boys, when he was small in stature, shepherding the sheep on family land? And how could Abraham and Sarah have known when they were on up in years, figuring whatever God was going to do with them, God had already done With them. And for that matter, how could we ever know what the future holds and who God might be using to shape God's ever unfolding revelation of love in this world? How could we know the fullness of God's promise unless we open ourselves to wonder and in so doing leave fear behind? You know, we've heard it said that the phrase do not fear is in the Bible many, many times, perhaps more times than any other phrase in Scripture. Some say that it's mentioned 366 times in our Bibles, one for every day of the year and then one extra maybe for leap year or for the days when we need to hear it twice. Fear is a powerful thing. Fear is so powerful and it takes on so many different shapes and faces and expressions. It closes our minds to possibility, and it keeps us standing in the same corners, still and petrified. It narrows the wideness of our understanding. It isolates us from all that God is calling us to become. It prevents us from seeing new creation even when it is staring us right in the face. And so perhaps if we want to move out of those rooms, the corners where fear has its grip on us, and move into the wonderful places where God's mystery is always beginning to take shape, maybe we have to open ourselves to possibility beyond probability, to laughter in the middle of despair, to delight in what seems like ordinary and to life beyond the grip of death. You see, if we want to live the wonderful lives that God is offering to us, we have to build up our wonder muscles. And we do this by noticing the things that God is already doing around us and in us and through us, by trusting that God has brought us to where we are and that God has not led us here in vain, and by actively seeking out even the smaller mysteries with an open mind and with open hearts. For in those spiritually open places, God's promise is being born. Amen.